This episode of the podcast was recorded over a Zoom call uh, at a time when physical distancing is important to us. Uh, so you will find that depending on the quality of the internet connection, uh, it can get choppy at times. Uh, but for the most part, you will be able to hear the conversation clearly. A uh, quick disclaimer. Uh, so in this episode, yeah, you will hear a lot of information regarding investments, and. Uh, do note that I am not a financial advisor. Therefore, anything that I say in this episode is purely my own opinion only. Uh, you should be aware that if you do decide to make any investment, uh, they all carry their own risk. And um, and whatever you hear from this episode is purely for informational and or entertainment purposes only. So please do be aware of that. Hey everyone, it's another episode of the Hello Mentor podcast. Uh, today we have Wong Wai Ken with us. Uh, Ken is Stash Away Malaysia's country manager. Uh, Ken has also accumulated asset management experience in the investment division of Kazana National Berhad and Premium China Funds Management in Australia. He has gained capital markets experience at Afin Huang Capital, serving in both its corporate strategy and equity capital markets department. Uh, with Afin Huang, uh, he first played an instrumental role in the post-merger integration of the two investment banks. He later gained deals experience with the equity capital markets team and successfully helped list companies and raise equity on Bursa Malaysia. As country manager of Stash Away Malaysia, uh, he led the launch of the local business by establishing partnerships and marketing channels. And um, I'm looking forward to this conversation, so let's begin. Hey, Derek, how are you? Um, good, nice good. meeting you for the first time. <laughs> Not really. We met, <laughs> sort a, we, met, of. <laughs> we met a long time ago. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and, we, and, we sort of, and we sort of been talking before we started recording. Yeah, so. yeah. But it's a show yeah, business. Yeah. we got to make sure we can't show all the magic, right? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> <And> makeup. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, we are we're talking like we're speaking for the first time. Uh, in this particular epi- uh, episode, uh, we also have uh, our heroes from Hyadi sitting in um, and uh, they may ask questions uh, throughout the sort of our podcast. But let's just jump straight in, Ken. So um, I love ask, sort of starting by asking uh, some personal questions because we would love to know who you are as a person. Yeah. Um, so one of the first things uh, as we did our research about your background, uh, we yeah. believe you, you did finance and uh, economics, right? Back when you're, you're at university, uh, yeah. so it sounds like you already knew you were interested in finance, like that, so many years ago. So, yeah. what 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 sort of made you first decide to kind of go down this path? Yeah, when I when I went to uni and did finance, I like to think about it like um, my parents would be very happy that I had no dreams, right? Like I didn't want to grow up to be a rock star. I didn't want to do origami. I didn't want to <laughs> cut bonsai tree or whatever, right? I was like, so yeah, I'm going to do finance, right? And then uh, it's, it's every Chinese Malaysian's family, like 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 dream. It's like, okay, he's going to earn a stable income. He's going to work in a bank. It's going to be fine, right? But um, I think when it really, really comes down to it, um, actually the reason why I wanted to do finance was because I moved to Australia when I was uh, after from three, uh, after from three, I got all my A's. I went to Australia. In Australia, there was this subject called commerce, 
which I really, really liked. And we actually had some after school programs, which uh, got us to kind of like uh, start a business, to actually start a business and have a product, sell a product, market it, and then like earn a profit, all of that. So I was like, back in Malaysia, all I kind of like could be was doctor, lawyer, uh, maybe engineer. Engineer was the big thing. But after doing commerce in Australia, I said, yeah, for sure, I want to be in business, right? And um, and finance was kind of the most ubiquitous thing. As Chinese people, we like money. I don't know why we shy away from that. Actually, we don't love, but like, it's not that PC to say that you're, you like money, right? But like, I, I, I really like money, right? So I always thought, I always thought like, yeah, yeah, banks have the money, right? Like, surely I, I, if I, I, if I go work for a bank, then I will also be rich. But those are, those are lies. Bankers will never truly be rich. It's entrepreneurs and, and, and business owners that are truly rich. So I'm trying to roll that back. But that's why I did finance in uni. <laughs> Well, well, I guess if you if you're in the top zero point zero zero one percent of the bank, then you might be rich, lah. C suite, lah. C suite, corner office, then you're good. C suite or like certain roles within investment banking, but the vast majority, yeah, normal, lah. Let's put it this way, lah. Yeah, like, yeah. like most everyone else. Uh, yeah, no, oh, okay. I'm I'm glad to hear that you love money. It is important, money. I believe in life. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I even when talk about careers and stuff. Um, uh, you know, when people ask me about advice or careers, I always say that you know, I mean, salary is still a thing, lah. I mean, salary can won't probably be the only thing, mm. but it it's still a thing, lah, Right? People mm. still care about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what and apart from money, is there anything? particular that you like about finance now that you've done it for so many years yeah i i i guess back then my my reasons for being in finance has always changed but um back then uh in in first year of uni um i did this competition which involved uh investment banking and then the case study competition was organized by ubs and basically you have to advise a company to like buy a, a merge with another company. And I just thought the whole exercise was so so academically and and mentally stimulating. And we had to do a lot of data crunching and, and uh, a lot of presentation skills. And I thought, wow, if I could like do this on a day to day, that would be really, really cool. And then I also watched Wall Street. Wall Street 1, I will not admit there's a Wall Street 2 because Gordon Gekko suddenly became a good man. I'm like, what the hell is that? Yeah. Is life? Gordon Gekko was a bit of a cult hero of mine um, because he was so baller. And when I first watched uh, Wall Street, I didn't know what insider trading was. And then after I went to uni and I was I would look back and I was like, hey, he's not an anti-hero. He's actually a villain. He's really bad, right? So so then obviously it's just a zeitgeist, but he had swag at, at least, right? So um, it has changed. What I like about finance then was very, very superficial. What I like about finance now is that it is a form of technology that remains uh, always at the bleeding edge because money is so important to us and to governments and businesses. And there'll always be innovation in, in this space. Last time we traded rocks, now we have crypto tomorrow, we live in a metaverse. I don't know, right? So, and finance will always be a part of that, right? So, I think that's that's why I continue to like about finance. Right, right. I mean, it's like um, regardless of how we, uh, what finance evolves into, we still need a way to sort of exchange value, right? Uh, exactly. Among each other. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and 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 speaking of that, right? Um, we've obviously when we did a bit of research about you, that there was a comment you made in one of the interviews right and it was um you seem quite driven and motivated even at a younger age uh i think i think you mentioned that you enjoy working while studying 
mm. which is probably what you did, right? So, mm. um, what 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 sort of I suppose uh, led you to have this kind of mindset, this kind of personality, mm. and you know, did you enjoy working or studying? Quite frankly, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> I wish I, I did. <laughs> I uh, I enjoyed working because I was good at work. I was never good at studying per se. I was good at getting A's, but I didn't enjoy the academic process. Right? Like, like mm. I didn't feel like what I was learning was particularly useful. But as a square, you know, you just you just go through life wanting A's, and then you want to go to uni because you're a square, and then you get more A's because you're a square. But anyway, when I when I started work, I was like, you know, there's no test, right? It's like what you do, tasks, and 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 I and I got really good feedback from my bosses and all that. So I was like, I'm actually really good at working. Right? It's pretty good. But the reason why I started to work was when I was at uni, I went into the accounting 101 lecture hall and I saw like 400 people there. It was a big class in Australia. And there was a lot of Chinese people, like China Chinese people. I'm not Chinese, I'm Malaysian. I don't even speak the language. I see all these super smart people there and I'm like, what is the difference between me and them? I'm definitely not smarter than them, right? So the only difference I thought I would have is I would have some work experience when I do graduate. So at least in the interview process, he can say he's smarter, she can say she's smarter, but at least I can say I'm decent, but I also have two, three years working experience, not just internships. So that was the thing, that I, the edge I, I kind of had. I, I really like working actually, to be honest. Right, right. And, and even at that age, we were thinking about how to, get a competitive age is it in terms of when you're in a room with 400 people that are smarter than you richer than you better looking you say you gotta do something man Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so as a square i said i will start working first (laughs) no that's that's interesting actually it sort of reminds me of um you know when i was younger you know like i said i didn't Mm. work when i was studying but i Mm. i I actually lived in the uk for a while Mm. and i come from a very middle income kind of family so as in like not not a lot of money and I've always knew that when I was living there in, the, in London, uh, I had to somehow be self-sufficient. Mm. Like, the, like I was forced to. It's mm-hmm. not, I, think, I think personally, if you look at my, my personality when I was much younger, I was very mm. chill, you know, very relaxed and all that. But mm-hmm. because the situation demanded it, it was like a survival thing that yeah. it's cultivated this mindset of, I always have to, you have to earn your place like that. You have to earn your job. You have to, especially overseas, right? Like that immigration mindset really kicks in. Yes, that's right. Because the 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 bias immigrant immigrant mindset. Sorry, that's right. Yes, yes. So for for you to get an offer for a job, you have to be like the top one percent of everyone that applied. You know something uh, before they even bother getting a visa. So I think I think that 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 was sort of kind of quite useful. And so okay, so it's good to hear that you know you went through that and then you went to. Afin Huang, right? I believe uh, you're doing yeah. investment banking. And eventually, that. eventually, um, I started at Kazana. Actually, I, mm. I, uh, you know, in, in Australia at that time, they came to tour the universities, and the first job I had out of uni, I was already working at the time, but like first real, real, real job was at Kazana, mm. and um, that's actually when life. Uh, when work itself became not as enjoyable because the first year was really good because you know it's fresh you're in a management training program and then um, I really felt the effects of like an institution right and being the lower rounds of the institution you're not in charge of the politics you're not really in charge of the work the decisions the, the the ways of working all really went against the instincts that I had about what finance and like doing deals and investment banking would be right I was I also was quite young so I had a huge attitude problem 
I was very cocky. I was very outspoken and I didn't always say the right thing. So I didn't fit in culturally as well. But because it was Kazana, it was like, it was like dating a really hot girl, right? You're like, oh, but she, she's so cool. And like, she's, she, she's so pretty, right? But I really hated being in this job. And that's when work became not fun. And um, ultimately, the thing that made me go to Afrin Huang, a relatively unknown, small, very GLC brand, was my old boss, Johan Zaliwatus, the principal at um, Bintang Capital now. But I actually interned with him in HSBC while I was at uni. And I came back to Malaysia. I did a HSBC internship. And he was the best boss I've had. You will go to war with the guy and, you know, follow him to the to hell and, and back. It's He's just a great human being and, oh, wow. and, and also a great boss, right? So I, uh, I reconnected with him and he said he wanted to build a corporate strategy team in Afrit Huang because uh, he had Huang Investment Bank in his sights. They wanted to merge and he needed a team to kind of like run around and, and do fun initiatives. And um, he will, he's really, really good at spinning a yarn. Like he's, mm. he's kind of like very, very uh, charismatic and he, he kind of like appeals to your ideals. Lah. He doesn't just say like, you were for me lah, and then you will rise alongside, you know, he, he, has, he has his ways of like charm and he really kind of sells it, right? Because he also believes it. So I, I, I joined him within Afing Huang itself, uh, did corporate strategy for two years. Um, and then after that, I, I, I thought after two years that these dinosaurs don't really want to change. A merger has happened and things have changed, but these dinosaurs are in, I, I always used to say these dinosaurs are in a new zoo. It doesn't mean they're not dinosaurs anymore, they're still dinosaurs. And then, and then, and then, um, I, I just didn't like doing corporate strategy anymore because I was all about, you know, the future and change. And, and it was very difficult uh, because uh, all these dinosaurs didn't want to change. And ultimately, I, I, thought, I, I thought back to why I was in finance, Gordon Gecko, all that stuff. I, ultimately, I want to do deals, right? So I, I was already in an investment bank. I already knew some of the head of departments. So I joined the equity capital markets team. We, we were in charge of, uh, you know, like listing companies and raising equity and stuff like that. And we were actually, sounds fun, and I mean, it sounds impressive, but actually, Afin Huang didn't really have a ECM practice, right? It was relatively small. You were here, CMB, Maybank, all the JP Morgan's of the world, but Afin Huang, like who, where? So luckily in my three years, we kind of carved a small niche for ourselves in the mid-cap kind of IPO space and placement space. And that's, you know, then when, that's where I was really happy actually, but then uh, that's where it came along and, and then I got a bit itchy, so. <laughs> so so you got to a place where you're sort of like you're sort of happy with yeah. uh where it's gotten to it was quite a journey now right so let's get yeah get to that yeah. and then statue okay now before i, I, I jump into statue i'm just curious because you mentioned like joan was one of like the, you know the best boss you mm. had and you yeah. talk about his charm and all that mm -hmm. um so uh i mean apart from yeah, I mean, it's something that always uh, fascinates me. I, I just read a quote actually this morning saying something like, um, if you are someone uh, that can't inspire people to want to work for you, then you're just a manager, you're not a leader, something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. yeah, so I think being able to, you know, have people willingly follow you yeah. is a requirement, right? A prerequisite to actually being a good leader. Mm -hmm. uh, and then did any of his uh, leadership styles rub off on you 
mm-hmm. or which or which one of his leadership styles rather than you know, uh, the charming person in the company. I I actually this is quite personal lah, but I I, I it, at the end of our uh, my my time working with him, I didn't want to leave him, but I. I felt like again I should be doing things for my own reasons rather than my bosses, right? And the difference between a, a you know a leader and and a guy is you know someone following him or not lah. If no one is following you, you're just a guy taking a walk, <laughs> and, and 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 that's like pretty sad and lonely lah, right? You need people following you lah. So um, I this I realized that I would never be him. And and as a young person, you always want to emulate your your role models. And I really realized that I would never be him. And I decided from then on to be myself. And actually, since that day, I eventually learned to be very comfortable in my own skin to press the advantages that I feel I have. I have certain skills that I really like about myself, but of course, to grow. And to be better, better person, um, people like my wife, people like Johan have kind of like, kind of, sanded down the rough edges. Uh, I was really, really obnoxious back then, and again they they sanded me down. So the thing I really, really like about him is that um, he has so many qualities. So it's hard to pick one, but I will pick one. It's it's telling bad news like a real person, you know. So um, being a leader. You have a lot of levers, right? A lot of uh, carrot and stick. But whenever he had bad news to convey, he would meet you in person, and he would tell you the bad news, and then he would say, um, kind of like why it could not be the way it is, and he would just tell it to your face. He wouldn't really sugarcoat it either, but he would just kind of like give you that respect, right? Um, a bit of a data thing, but like kind of like man to man, right? Like 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 mano y mano, right? So he would give you that respect. Even those, even small things. I remember when we were in Afinhuang, we were looking for new offices to move into. We were considering like a a, a new office, right? A brand new office, new zoo, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, and we went to to a place and we checked out the the site. And in the end, we didn't choose the site. But when we didn't choose the site, he didn't just text the guy and say like, "Sorry, I got it cheaper." So he 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 we I went with him. We sat down in the building itself, which we were to reject. We had coffee, and he said to the guys. You know, the building owners, not just the salespeople. He said to the guys, "Like, I'm sorry, these are my reasons. I was really pushing for it. I like this, this, is this. I will always refer you to. I will refer people to you. I think it's a great space. You're doing amazing things. But I, I cannot make this choice where we would travel together. I would just have to take a separate path. And it was just like I respect that so much because bad news is really hard to to give. So you're in the you're in the world of hiring and, and 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 building companies, right? But on the flip side of it, it's people leaving, it's people not being happy, you know, IR and all the bad stuff that comes with a bad toxic environment exists in the real world. So I think I really like that one small part of him now. Yeah, I I I love that actually. So I think sometimes when it comes of do not just good leadership, but in terms of building good company culture, uh because you know, it's it's a fairy tale. There's no bad news, right? Whatever, mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. whichever journey we're going through, there's always going to be lots of ups and downs, right? And rather than sweeping bad news under the carpet, mm. I think um, being a good leader, actually even being just good employees, is the ability to sort of communicate this bad news well, right? Clearly, uh, in a way that people understand and they, they can sort of accept that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's important. So, Okay, I'm, I want to jump into Stash Away now because I'm mm-hmm. super curious. Um, how would you introduce Stash Away to a six-year-old? 
Ah, okay. Um, well, I have a three-month-old baby now, so I would say. Have you tried practicing? Uh, Actually, um, I, yeah, I guess when 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 the um, when when the baby comes along, right, you shouldn't talk to the baby like in baby talk. You should talk like a normal human being, right? So, I would actually say that with you know all its bells and whistles aside, Stashaway is a way to grow your money, right? Mm-hmm. So that may sound very vague, but it points you in the right direction. What does that really mean? It means that we we manage your money for you. We invested in ETFs overseas. We form portfolios for you, and through that, hopefully, you meet your life's goals. Whether it's retirement, whether it's buying a new car, whether it's uh, starting a family, whatever it is, right? So I think with tech and fintech specifically, a lot of buzzwords get thrown around, right? Robo advisor, um, AI, blockchain, and I think what's 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 what we do at Sashway, which is relatively good is we convey those uh, jargon to USPs that actually mean something or are useful to you as a client, right? And I will not say we are Mother Teresa, but what we do really well is we align your interests with ourselves, right? So what I mean by that is normally when you buy unit trust, there's very, very high fees. When you buy um, uh, investment linked products, you know, you don't know there are lock-ins, you don't know the fees are very high, embedded, they're hidden costs. But we stash away, to align our interest with you, we charge really, really low fees, only 0.8%. We make it really easy so you don't have to put up with a pretentious, uh, number-driven, KPI-driven salesperson who only markets their own product. So we make it convenient so you can just download the app. And by the same time, you're it's really intelligent in the sense that when you put your money with us, we grow it and um, we invest it overseas, which actually is harder than it sounds for a lot of Malaysians, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think ultimately it's about uh, we grow your money as a platform. It, we make it really, really cheap, really, really easy. But at the same time, you're not foregoing some of the, the intelligence that comes with like really sophisticated private banking level advice. Mm. So I'm not sure if this is an appropriate comparison. Uh, but one thing I think uh, I was curious about is like how how would it be different from let's say you know other financial advisors, let's say Unit Trust and all that, because I think their sort of value proposition is also like, hey, give us some money and we'll help you grow it. But I'm hmm. sure Stash Away has like, a, you know, you're different from that, right? But in, yeah. in what sense are you different from that? Yeah. So when it comes to being digital, there are a lot of advantages. Hmm. And the advantages really do flow through to the customer, right? Hmm. So we do two jobs and we um, we digitize it in a certain way. So the financial advisor's job actually is to meet you figure out what's best for your objectives and then recommend a few investment products. And then the unit trust advisor, the unit trust company gives you certain funds that is matched to your risk level. And ultimately you invest, uh, they invest your money for you and then they grow your money. So we are no different in terms of function, but how you get there, your your interaction, your UI, UX is all very different, right? So instead of meeting a a 50 year old man uh, and, and, and financial planners are usually 50 year old men, um, you actually just ask yourself, what is it really that I want to invest for? What are my objectives? And then we guide you towards a portfolio. And instead of meeting an agent, because you're never going to meet the CIO, you're only going to meet an agent or a bank teller who's going to charge you 5% just to put in the money and another 2% to manage the money. So that's 7%. You know, we only charge 0.8% a year, right? So... 0.8% uh, versus yeah. 7%? Oh, okay. Yes, versus 7%, right? So it's, right. it's uh, like an 85% discount or whatever. So it's uh, again much cheaper and then every time you want to buy a new product put in more money 
the, the seamlessness that comes with, with you know signing forms and doing thumbprints and all that you know you can just tap 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 put money in money reaches our bank account we manage it for you um but also there's there's a lot of other other bells and whistles like engagement you know there's a lot of content within the app to teach you about investing for long term uh we also send you articles every month that you can read that that tell you about what's happening in the market we don't just go on radio silence um at the same time we're also introducing a lot of new products from time to time right so when we first launched it was global etf portfolios and then we introduced a money market fund or a cash management solution where you can use cost actually simple we can earn 2.4 percent on your cash and then recently we launched some thematic portfolios that take advantage of all the crazy tech trends and healthcare trends that are happening now right so i would say how it's different really comes back to the USP. It's it's uh, really cheap, really convenient. At the same time, you're not foregoing quality. Yeah. So. Uh, right. Right. Mm. So so like um, like uh, if you're dealing with a like, financial planner, you're dealing with a person who is obviously acts like like a middleman or middle woman, right? A middle person. Uh, whereas this is replaced by a digital front. Is that is that how mm-hmm. I'm understanding yes. it? And therefore, mm-hmm. and therefore the cost of you running this suits different and therefore the cost of them investing is different. Mm. Uh, and we give you access, right? Like to the, to those kind of like global portfolios. And I will say one thing, maybe people don't know, but a lot of financial planners do take uh, commissions from the unit trust industry. So if let's say uh, I work with you, Derek, hello, step into my office, here's my terrible coffee, have a seat. And then I say, oh, you have three funds to choose from, but I recommend number one. The commissions that come from number one may be higher to him, and you may not even know that because the the industry is such where I, it's it's not a malicious thing; it's just the structure. So you take ethics out of it, right? Everyone's a good person, fine. But then it's really like it comes down to incentives. If let's say you three unit trust fund managers have uh, have a China fund, right? But but one gives more commissions to the financial planner, the person who's introducing the fund to the client. Of course, he's going to choose that, right? If like all the performance is about the same, right? Mm-hmm. So I would say that there are a lot of these things that if you know in the industry, you don't really know. So we take a lot of bias out of it and ultimately uh, hope people um, make the right decisions and stay for the right reasons and grow their wealth in a steady way. Right, right. I, I suppose ultimately it's quite a sales orientated kind of industry. Lah. I mean, like, you know, mm-hmm. we run very big sales teams entirely. So obviously mm-hmm. sales teams function based on incentives, right? So if you want the behavior to change, you change the incentive structure mm-hmm. and the sales team changes their behavior, lah, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to match the incentive. Um, and and um, and then as you sort of saying that like, we snatch away the customer you refer to that as customers have yeah. more control is it or more transparent information i think it's both um ultimately when it comes to control sometimes it's about making the right choices right like um, the ability to do certain things may also uh, interfere with your best interest sometimes so the control is there right the choice is there maybe to invest in high-risk products when you're actually very conservative or when the market falls you can actually keep in stay invested but actually you can take out as well so that that ability to control is there you can also uh, choose different risk levels have multiple portfolios choose whatever you want um, but it's, it's curated and guided because whatever portfolios we put out there we know should fit the user right the customer and then another another thing you say is transparency right like i think sometimes people because they don't see a person they don't see me they they may think oh maybe all these startups they make money in different ways 
We only make money from that 0.8%. It's a scale game at the end of the day. There's no other uh, revenue source. We don't sell data. We don't do any kind of like arrangements with the ETF provider. Some people, some sophisticated clients do ask us about those things. Like, mm. are you, you have an ETF BlackRock, like you have a, a BlackRock commission or whatever. We, we don't, we're very easy. You know, there are some other robo advisors that kind of uh, do, do like some, like some financial uh, wizardry. Not it's, not it's not bad, but they just do some internal financial wizardry and they earn like small basis points off of clients' money, right? So mm-hmm. it's not illegal, it's not bad, but like we don't do that, right? So it's we just earn from that management fee and we think that that's the thing that ties us to the customer. Mm-hmm. And I'm also super curious because I think um, uh, when it comes to investing money, right? Because money is very thing that people so hold quite closely to them like some you know important thing money and all that how my theory is again correct me if i'm wrong one of the reasons why the financial planning industry is booming even though it's very sales orientated is because ultimately when i'm giving some if i'm going to take a lot of money and put it somewhere i want to deal with the person you know like we are human beings like we're sort of social creatures i want to see the this person i i know who i'm talking to and and i i sort of have this feeling that i can trust them with my money whether or not regardless of what's actually going on after that, right? Mm. Uh, so but I, I do want to deal with someone that I know that this person is not going to, uh, I know they're going to make money, but I'm happy to let them make that money because I just want to deal with a human being. Um, so um, what would you say to, um, I suppose, um, is this, okay, I don't know how to ask this question, but do you think this is a big market of people? I think this is changing or or do you, or, or you think there are always going to be people that prefer this and therefore stash rate would be serving a specific group of customers? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the truth is that there are multiple truths here as well, right? So mm. firstly, there are people who trust people and one that rapport and one that, that like personal personalized advice. Whether the actual advice is personalized or not, who knows? But they want they think that this person has uh, the, the right um, uh, objectives in mind. And then the second thing is that there are people who are very averse to dealing with people, right? They, they, it's just that we've had really bad interfaces, banking interfaces, uh, investment product interfaces in the past. Buying a stock can be quite clunky. Uh, if even after you know 20, 30 years of like online, at least at least 20 years of online broking, still very clunky. Um, buying unit trust online also got some friction. Fun Supermarket was the pioneer, but still also got friction because it's a supermarket. There's no guidance to say like this is the best or whatever. It's a supermarket, right? So ultimately, um, there are people who want to deal with people in person because of the trust factor. And then there's a second reason uh, of shifting behaviors and improving UI UX that actually help people to trust the platform because it was so seamless, right? So we are seeing both of those things. Those things are true. Um, but what you say also ties to um, trust. Mm. So that's why trust is super important for any financial institution. So rather than meet each person face-to-face, what I can do is build a really reputable business in Malaysia, build a brand that's very uh, trusted in Malaysia. And ultimately, that is the thing that people um, that people people trust. My handshake is not scalable. Right. Mm-hmm. My, 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 I can dab you up. I can give you a really nice hug. I can yum sing with you, but it's not scalable. 
right? Mm. So mm. I will yum sing with you if you can give me a million bucks. But if you want to give me a hundred, sorry lah, you gotta you gotta go online and trust the brand. Mm. So so we do a lot of things that help with this uh, trusting of the brand. So we're a very open organization. We do a lot of press. Um, also because we don't want to spend our money on 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 billboards and things like that. We want to earn our press for mm. free free publicity, which is mm. which is well well earned. We also do a lot of talks like this. Um, but if I wasn't doing this for with with Hardly, um, um, I would be doing it with uh, with other other companies as well. We we do talks like this. Name any major company, uh, FBM, KLCI. Name any MNC. We've probably done it with them before, right? Big Four, uh, Lawyers, Petronas, Shell, all, all that. Um, the MBBs of the world. We've done it with all of them. So that's a part where we want to show. Uh, uh, some empathy, engage with people in an educational way, not in a selling way. And I think overall that would help with the trust, right? So the last thing I will say about trust as well is after sales service, which is we have a huge customer service team and all of them are uni grads. We pay them really well and they all know product and market very, very well. And ultimately when, if you open the app, there's a WhatsApp button, there's also uh, email and calls. So only old people call us, which is fine. We'll answer. But mostly people want to email us and they want to WhatsApp us. And ultimately, the, they, would, they don't want that, that Asia chatbot, right? That chatbot should be fired already, right? But, but you see, that, that, that bot is still there. My God, you cannot fire him, right? So we have real people, actual intelligence, not artificial, who actually like, you know, try and problem solve for you. Like, where's my money? I lose my password. Why market go down? What is this new product? Uh, uh, sometimes we manage people who cannot scam by by some rogue statutory agent. We have to deal with all of that. So mm. yeah, after sales service, real human touch is awesome, lah. I I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and and um and speaking of that, what 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 do you think is uh like really hard about being in the industry that you're in? Uh, but you know, outsiders often misunderstand, right? And mm. think it's very easy. Yeah, I'll come back to why you invest in the first place. You never invest to lose money. Everyone, one number go up, I get rich. I become mm. Scrooge McDuck and I jump into the vault with like a bunch of money and I swim, backstroke. I want to do that too, right? Like everyone wants to do that. But I think what people don't understand is that there's always risk and return. They don't understand uh, they don't understand risk, right? Because risk is not something that the industry markets especially well, right? If you look at all these funds, all these funds have like very, very nice flavoring, like Salt Bay kind of branding, like, like golden opportunity, quantum, amazing uh, sunrise fund. I'm just like, dude, like where's the risk? Like you got to look at the fact sheet in the prospectus in like page 62 and just like, oh yeah, this, this is the risk, right? So, so, and, and, and I don't just say that out of slandering banks and I, and I don't mind slandering banks. Um, it's, it's because we do it different, right? We, we label our portfolios according to risk level, which is rather difficult to explain, but we explain that this is potentially the, the most you can lose if you invest in a 20% fund risk index, that is potentially maximum downside of 20%. So, 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 so risk return is very difficult and people think that money can just grow magically and that there's no risk. And that when money goes down, that's way stupid. But when money goes up, I'm very clever. And then <laughs> during, during, during last year when COVID, COVID came and our funds went down as well, a lot of young people left the, the platform. Uh, 
in the absolute amount not that big, but in terms of like the 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 number of users was was more more elevated than normal. And completely understandable. It's a crisis for God's sake. But then a lot of rich people came to us and they cut five hundred thousand, one million uh, ringgit checks uh, to go to branch and use rent us. And they say you're just the buying opportunity I've been waiting for eight to to ten years. And that's the difference between experience and no experience, right? So people think that. Oh, okay, I, I put my money with you, uh, then the, the, the number should not go down. But it's really, you should recognize what kind of platform is this? Is this a steady, steady grow your money platform? Or is it like maybe crypto or Bitcoin where, where like I could make it really big, but I could also lose a lot of money. They need to be accountable for their choices. And they need to know why they've chosen that platform so that they can get the best out of it. Yeah. So again, to sum up, I say that risk and return number go up, graph go to the top right, is always uh, really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I suppose, so uh, I, I'm trying to use my own words, right? So so basically with a lot of people when it comes to investing, you only see the upside. And right, and they and 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 I think maybe it's largely because of the kind of the very sales how sales oriented it is. People are always talking about you know how much return you can get, how much return you can get, but there's not enough focus on the fact that hey, the your money can go backwards by the way, uh, and and if you want something that returns has a very high return, it typically also comes with high risk. You just have to be aware. Uh, like when mm-hmm. you use, say, crypto, for example, which is super volatile, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, and just people need to recognize that this part of investing, mm-hmm. whereas people don't, right? So what mm-hmm. I'm saying is that people don't. They, they also don't recognize that they are irrational, right? Because fear and greed is very human. And the best investors actually take emotion out of the game, right? If you're a trader, you got cut loss at 20%. You don't, don't, you're not married to the stock risk. If you have a cut loss policy, whatever, okay. And if it goes up, you say, okay, I have a, I have a take profit SOP or a, or a trading style, then you can take the profit. It's about discipline, not, not like, oh, is it going to go down? Is it going to go down some more? I'm scared. If it goes up, it's like, ooh, I'm feeling a bit like lightheaded, like, like I already 2x my money. Should I sell? Should I keep? investing what's going on so they don't take themselves accountable because they always think like they're very how do you say uh the the customers can be quite um uh, entitled right because it's not like grab it's not it's like it's, it's not performance is not guaranteed right so you have to really understand what are you investing in and also you have to understand yourself and recognize when you're making a bad decision or or not right so yeah, mm. fear and greed. Yeah. <laughs> big part of human nature. Yeah. Um, so now the next, so I have to ask a question because a lot of our listeners are typically quite young in their twenties, mm. maybe their early thirties, right? So, what what sort of advice would you give to like a beginner, right? If they if they were to decide, hey, look, I'm, you know, I I want to allocate mm. some money for investment. So mm. how should they approach this? How should they think about? It? Yeah, I would say. Uh, yeah, I do a lot of these talks and a lot of people ask me for resources. A lot of people ask me how to begin. And to be honest, the only the, the, the only real way to begin is to just invest. I, I With the asterisk, as long as it's legal, right? As long as it's regulated. So um, you don't enter into scams or overseas or unscrupulous platforms that are, in the best case, you don't have any consumer rights if anything happened. On the worst case, it's outright scam. And there are a lot of FX scams, right? So I wouldn't even talk about investment gurus. I'll just say that there are a lot of uh, 
kind of like digital FX scams. So uh, begin investing as soon as you can, not just because you can be Scrooge McDuck, but you will learn in you will learn at a much accelerated pace when your own money is at stake. You never truly learn unless you have a thousand bucks in that thing, right? Some people are very scared to try our platform. They're like, what's the minimum? I say, there is no minimum. Try with whatever amount that you are comfortable with to try. Then they're like, Mr. Wong, one ring you cannot. And then I'm like, see, this is why, this is why digital marketing is so much better than me shaking your hand. Because I, I, do, I if I, if I, if I drove all the way to Clang and you say, Mr. Wong, I try one ring it, it's like, can't even pay, pay for my petrol. So, so I will say, just try, just start, right? Obviously do some reading and all that. But then if you, if it's stocks, if it's uh, funds, if it's stash rate, if it's crypto, if it's property, whatever it is with whatever amount you have, just start. You know, and if you're staying with your parents, uh, your safety net is actually much, much bigger than you think, right? You, you will not be kicked on the streets and you won't starve. So so try investing and, and see what you respond to, right? You have to learn a few things. So firstly, you see your own risk tolerance. When I invest in stocks or crypto or whatever, like you see like, okay, money, uh, my money is very volatile. Like, am I okay with this volatility? So you learn your, your risk tolerance. And then secondly, see whether you learn about the actual asset classes or, and the dynamics of the asset class, as opposed to whether your money go up or down only, right? You you must learn like what drives stocks, what drives uh, house prices, what drives crypto, what drives the funds that you're invested in. So once you learn all that, you will make more uh, informed decisions. If market go down, you're like, yep, I will invest some more because prices are cheaper. If markets go up, you're like, okay, I should just be, be, be uh, patient because I, I it's a long way to go. So after you have that experience, you will ultimately have a feel for either that asset class or that platform, whatever it is. And I would say continue to invest in a meaningful way and then diversify your other platforms as well because there's no silver bullet. Every platform out there is just a tool you need to diversify because if this stuff does well, in, in and, and another one doesn't, at least you're protected in some way. So I'd say, yeah, just start, just start investing and then learn your risk preference, learn your, your asset class. And then um, the, the thing is to kind of diversify and invest in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to ask this one question before I saw shift to see if you have any questions from the floor. Mm. Uh, so um, what advice about investing do you commonly mm. hear or you think it's kind of, kind of commonly out there that you believe people should ignore? Is that actually not good advice? Oh, people should. Uh, so it's misconceptions that people should ignore. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, I will say this, right? I would say um, cash is king, all right? Cash is king is a big saying. Mm. And as uh, Malaysians, as Chinese people, we always say save money, right? But I say like to a certain point, cash is important. But after that, it's basically just eaten away by by inflation. So if you don't put that money to work as soon as possible, it's going to sit there. And while it's very nice to see that number slowly go up, actually, if you invest for the long term and dollar cost average, the money will grow a lot faster than you would think, right? Mm. So there's bumps along the road and all that. But if I show you a decent S&P 500, uh, chart that, that goes on for five, 10 years, you will see that the returns are really there because it, it markets equities always trend up. The key thing here is time and also when you invest. So you can get rid of those things by first investing for a long time and secondly, um, 
uh, investing frequently. So you you kind of like uh, spread out the entry points so you don't just go in at the top and then when it goes down, you become disillusioned. So zoom out and invest frequently. So cash is king is really overrated, right? Um, it's growing at 0%. And, you, and your retirement, if you think you need 2 million, think again, because inflation will eat it away. And by the time you're actually 50, 55, 60, you would actually realistically in future need probably like 4 million to retire. So if you don't grow your money, you're not going to be very prepared. And EPF and all that won't prepare you as well because you don't put aside enough, even though you think, oh, 12% here, 11% there. It's not enough. Mm. To really retire, you probably need 2 million and above. And only mm. 1% of people have more than 800K in their EPFs. So mm. you're, you're probably not in the one. I'm not in the one percent, right? Maybe one day we will be, but probably we are. We're not there. What, as in one million in EPF, you know, not 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 many people have that. Only like mm. only like two, almost three thousand people have that in Malaysia. Is that right? Oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay, pretty sure I'm not there. Um. So uh. <laughs> no, but one one of the things I I I want to sort of comment is um. You're right about inflation. I think a lot of people don't realize this. Uh, as in, like inflation is sort of the an invisible tax or like indirect tax, right? Uh, if, if you just leave your money and you're not investing it, it you actually it's actually losing its value, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, people see a dollar's a dollar, but a ringgit's a ringgit, But you know, mm-hmm. it, it changes over time. Like the, this same ringgit may not buy the the same thing ten years from mm-hmm. now, you yeah. know. So for um, sure, like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I like to. When I used to give talks, I had this terrible joke about um, Ang Pao's, right? So 20 years ago, when my granddad was still alive, every year since I was young, he gave me 20 ringgit. And as I grew up, I viewed that 20 ringgit with less and less happiness because when I was young, I was like, 20 ringgit, I'm going to wild out. I'm going to buy everything in the world. And then when you're like teenager, you're like, 20 ringgit is just like, geez, man, like pops, you got to you got to move with the times, man. Like, like you should have an inflation-adjusted umpire, right? So 20, 25, okay, 25 for a few years, 30, you know? No one say give 50, lah, but when you hold a 50 last time as a kid, you know how much reverence you feel for the 50, right? Oh, yeah. Now you buy vegetables. Let's up, my friend. Yeah. You want to buy four, four or five greens, organic and shit? 50 bucks is gone. You can't, you can't fill up a, a shopping cart, no, no less a trolley. It's 50 bucks, man. 50 bucks today ain't what it used to be. I remember my dad going to Giant or there as a kid. 50 bucks, everything of him. Now, now it's like my thing which I can carry and I don't have huge muscles. Very heavy, not, not very heavy for 50 bucks. Agreed. Um, uh, so yeah, so I'm going to open, going to open up to the floor. I have... Lots of other questions I want to ask, actually. I'm just conscious yeah. about time. So I want to open up and see if anyone has a question you want to ask, you can ask in the chat, or you can just unmute yourself and, you know, and just go. Uh, let's see. Okay, while, okay, so whoever has a question, you can ask. While I'm waiting for the question, I'm waiting for someone to put up their hand. I do have a, something I want to ask about crypto because we sort of touched upon it just now. It's actually one of the questions that our... I suppose our team asked that when we were yeah. crowdsourcing questions. So what is your opinion, right, about mm. investing uh, investments, especially in the current generation? You know, there's a lot of hype with crypto, like NFT. Yeah. What is your yeah. personal opinion about this? Yeah. So usually if someone is asking me with the intention of learning about crypto, like if they ask me what do you think about crypto and they actually don't know anything, right? Mm. They're asking mm. because I'm a source of knowledge or whatever, and then they just ask, I would say uh, don't invest in it yet. 
right? Because if you're asking it me, means you don't know anything about the risk and return, you should not actually invest, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're asking me to canvas a point of view, whether I'm too early, is this a top signal? I, I, what do you think about this specific coin? You want to see if I have any alpha or whatever? Then, then yeah, then I will say certain things. I am very laser eyes. I, I, I love my crypto because 90% of the money I've invested is with safe, regulated stuff that I'm very, very happy with, right? But mm -hmm. they're, so, they're so steady. They're so, you know, so like to learn about the frontier of, of fintech and, and crypto is the, the frontier, right? So I've also, again, if you're, not, if you're not invested, you are not an investor and you will never learn about the thing. So it will never benefit you as an investor. You will never benefit me professionally. So I started investing in crypto early this year and the crypto markets are really, really crazy. Like they age you like, like nothing else. And waves of innovation just hit, hit you know, and and so many so much stuff happens on a daily basis that uh, huge industries can rise and fall within a span of like a year, six months to a year. So the fact that if you're asking me what is an NFT and you really don't know, I would say start learning. Okay, the umbrella term uh, the, the umbrella term is you have uh, cryptocurrency, and by the way, not all of them are scams. Um, they actually some of them very legit. You start off with Bitcoin, which like has 60, 70% of the market cap of all of crypto. So that's the big daddy. So you always should have some exposure to Bitcoin. Um, then you have Ethereum, which is kind of like the, the, the internet layer where build, things are built upon. It's also very valuable in its own right. So if you really don't want to learn anything about crypto because it doesn't fascinate you, it, 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 it stresses the hell out of you as well, just buy BTC and Ethereum. That's it. Sit on it for 10 years and then you buy me uh, lots of beer and lots of uh, <laughs> data rate and all that later on. So um, I would say that it is like the internet was in the early 2000s. It's really that fundamental shift. But if you don't understand it, it will, it will give you stomach ulcers. It will give you cancer because it's so volatile that in certain cycles, you can just lose like 20% uh, in a day, 40% in a week. You can, you can go from top to bottom, 90% down within a matter of like less than a month, you know, it can, it can do that to you. And with crypto, because it's so new, it doesn't really mirror a lot of asset classes. So the bear markets can be very, very long. Imagine like holding only 10% of your value of your principal for like two years and it doesn't do shit. It doesn't do nothing. It just stays there. And then within like a span of like, then you're like, ah, yeah, I want to, you know, buy some stuff and you take out your money. That day itself, confirm, it will go up like crazy. It will like 5x in a day. Then you're like, what was I doing? Right? That is crypto. That is crypto. It is, <laughs> it is, um, it is very, very stressful. But at the same time, it's very, very innovative. And I, I will say that with, let me get the wording right. With regular risk comes regular return. With outsized risk comes outsized return and losses, you know? So if you want to take the path well-trodden, let me tell you that US equities do 16 to around 18% a year for the last five to 10 years, which is really, really good, okay? okay. And then you have um, something very, very steady like stash away, which, which does anywhere between three to 16 low risk 3%, high risk 16% a year. We, we have returns over the last uh, uh, four, 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 five years. And let me just get those uh, returns for, for Bitcoin and all that. 
just blows it out of the water. Bear with me, yeah. Sorry, did you say three to fourteen percent? Was that what I heard? Yeah, three to fourteen percent. So, if you invested in Bitcoin and ETH, uh, two of them together since January 2017, 17, 18, 19, 2021, so like five years, you will be looking at 145% a year compounded for, for seven, eight years. So, no, 17, so 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, so five years. So 145% compounded for five years. You know what is that? That's 87 times, 87 times your money. Mm. If you only invested in Bitcoin, just Bitcoin, it, it will be up 65 times, mm. okay? 65 mm. times versus BTC and ETH, which both go up to uh, uh, 87 times. So that is when, if you go back five years, 2017, we would have gone through a crash in 2018 when you lose 90% of your money and still, you would have made 87x your money. But the mm. kind of like stress you have to go through, the amount of period you have to hold it for, very, very long. And a lot of the gains happen within months. Within like one month, if you're not in the market, forget it. Then, then, mm. then when you hear about it from the Grab driver, when you see it on the traditional news, like Bloomberg and CNBC, too late. By the time they reported their all-time high, you probably would have gone back down 10%. And then they will, the next day they report that, oh, look guys, Bitcoin is very, very, uh, very, very risky. Uh, it would have already gone up higher. <laughs> so the traditional media, financial media, knows close to nothing about crypto. So don't read about crypto through the traditional financial media. They don't nothing, they're dinosaurs, forget. So that's what I think about crypto in a nutshell. If you wanna, if you wanna go down the rabbit hole, so many ways to do it. Just go online and look for uh, educational videos uh, about it. There are some very good ones. But if you like, if you try and you don't get hooked because of the technology, because of the art, just buy Bitcoin and ETH, and I'll see you in ten years. <laughs> see, you in five, <laughs> see you in five years because because you don't want to touch it for that. You know, you, you will go yeah. up, you'll go down. Yeah. Right. Right. And we and by I, the way, we are at all time highs right now. You know, so and it's come down a bit. So it's of the max kind of froth already. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually have two direct messages. So I think you've already answered one of them. So one of mm. the uh, questions, so one first question was, what's the average annual return in the last 10 years uh, investing in stash away? So I think you've sort of answered that question. Yeah. But yeah, four to five years, five, yeah, yeah. Five really years right? Yeah. Right, mm. great. Um, there is an, uh, oh, I have another question from Najmi. If I wanted to start putting my money in robo-advisors as a dummy, what do I research about in the first place before deciding which robo to put my money in? Can't choose because I don't even know what to look at. Yeah, so here I'll be really, really non-PC and say you should stop doing your research and just invest in Satchway because we're the best and the biggest. So <laughs> if you really wanted to learn, if you just, uh, not to be no disrespect, but if you just Google RoboAdvisor Malaysia, a lot of comparison articles and YouTube blogs will be out there doing uh, good comparisons. And none of these guys have ever come to highly and do a talk. So I don't want to give any of my competitors any any like limelight at all i won't mention their names stashway is all you need to know the fact that you don't even know about them means i'm doing my job so <laughs> win stashway <laughs> just invest in stashway and uh and then you'll be fine 
still hovering in crypto a little bit because uh, it's yeah. obviously something I'm curious about. Yeah. I read the I read the book many years ago by a famous American investor called Peter Lynch. I don't know whether you know who he is yeah. or not, but Fidelity. And, mm-hmm. and and in the first chapter of the book it was very memorable to me. Um, and one of the <laughs> kind of advice is saying right, it says that um, when it comes to investing, I, I, I'm 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 not saying this right now, but it's my understanding. When it comes to investment, right? Uh, when you uh, when he goes out into the world and mm-hmm. when people ask him what is your job and he tells people, you know, I'm an investor, for example, mm-hmm. and then he, the, he's met with the response of, oh, like, who are you? You know, that's a tough job. Uh, that's actually a great time to be investing versus if you, if you go out into the world and even the, you know, your aunties and uncles are giving you investment advice, you know, the, the guy, uh, you know, uh, in, you know, doing, you know, whatever, like, you know, um, in the, any random stranger in the supermarket is giving you investment advice. That's probably the, the time that you shouldn't be investing. So I think it's more referring to how, how hot the market is, like whether people really understand or not, uh, whether they're putting money. Um, I wonder if this applies to crypto, uh, because, um, I say this because, uh, you know, I, the, the the person that cuts my hair, I go to the same person. The person that cuts my hair, like like she told me the other day that she puts a certain percentage of their money in crypto every month, just automatically, rather than living in the bank. Fine. And yeah, but but that conversation sort of reminded me of this part in the book, you know, mm. where they're saying that if the general public who doesn't really understand investment mm. are pouring in, it's yeah. probably a bit overheated already. What's your mm. opinion? Here? Um, well, I would not put all hairdressers in the same category because um, ultimately when it comes to crypto, the early adopters are people on the fringes, right? Um, The early adopters are people who are like, who play poker online. And then they started talking about it because it's like, it's one way of like transferring money online. And then when when you talk about, let's say like uh, people in, like coders and all that, like who are building the, the crypto world right now, they were not particularly included in the, in the, how do you say, in the stock market and all that. So then if they started investing in crypto, they would have done very well because they, they are like, they, they know this space, right? So I would say that the normal ways to go into, the, 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 the ways people go into crypto is not the same as stocks and funds and all that. So people may have gleaned inadvertently some alpha because it was dismissed for so long. It was thought that in 2018, it was dead and will never come back and there's no use case and Nouriel Rabini was right and all of that stuff. So so I, I, I can see why even people like me, I dismissed it in 2017 to my detriment because all the things you've learned about, uh, you know, you go to school and you learn about like all this, all this institutional stuff, right? You don't really... You cannot really apply to to Bitcoin because and, and crypto in general because it just doesn't um, it doesn't engage you in a way where it makes the gears in your head say this is a good investment, right? The volatility is is is, a, is, is very high. It's not backed by anything like physical. Um, so all of the red flags start waving and ultimately you don't invest. So who actually invested in Bitcoin or that in the early days? It's people in the fringes who found some sort of use case or who didn't just didn't know better and ultimately was because they they just they just didn't know enough to be wrong uh, to be 
to know what was right and wrong, right? They just did it and, and, and they did very well. So good for them, right? But what I will say now is that crypto now is not crypto in 2017. It's much more developed. There's a lot less scams and there's a lot more ways to invest in it because there's exchanges which are regulated, big exchanges overseas which are not regulated but are, but are legit. So you can use those to actually like weed out a lot of the scammy opportunities. And if you want Bitcoin today, you can just go to Luno and, and get Bitcoin already, right? Ethereum, same thing. So I will say that to your statement earlier about the hairdresser, you should you should be uh, fearful when people are greedy and greedy when people are fearful. That is the same. Um, but when it comes to Bitcoin, I would say look at it from fresh perspective. So in a way, you're right because finance has disregarded, has been wrong about crypto. And what I like, what I don't like to say, actually what I don't like about a lot of like people that have made it big, people like Warren Buffett, Bill Lynch, they had their heyday and basically they made a lot of their money already. Then they write a book, but they don't actually tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. They tell you wake up in the morning and brush your teeth and like wear some pants, have great ethics, like screw that, man. You've done really, really well. And then you're not going to tell me what stock to buy for the next five years. What, what is this? Why am I buying a book? They tell you all the trades and philosophies and stuff, but it's just another revenue stream for them. And people like Warren Buffett and all, they're not a value investor anymore. They are a huge conglomerate. They are a private equity company essentially, and they get shown deals that no one else sees. So ultimately, I would say that these people have made it and you should kind of like see that they are fallible. They're good at certain things, but they are fallible. Like, like, like what's his name? Um, Warren Buffett got it really, really wrong when it comes to tech. He got famously got it wrong when it comes to Apple. Now he owns so much. He had to come in at a huge premium because he just didn't, you know, he didn't own Amazon, right? Like he's wrong about a lot of things because if you look at earnings and doing value, value investing, Apple and all that, we have made losses for a very long time. And then suddenly they have a monopoly in some sense and they made tons of money. So you're like, what is this? How do I value it? How do I do price to vote, price equity? It doesn't work, right? So then there are new things like um, uh, Metcalf's law, where they look at the power of the networks and how valuable networks can be. That's, that's kind of new metrics to learn. And then when it comes to crypto, so you're not businesses, you're not buying stock, you're not even, you're not buying you're not buying a share of the company, you're not buying a bond. It's it's just this weird thing that moves a lot. So what is it, right? So we're still mm. discovering the use case for all this. So that's why I would say to risk manage, just buy a bit and um, hold for a long time. That's ultimately what you 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 can do to kind of avoid a lot of mistakes, right? So mm. always have that fresh mentality when it comes to what all fogies have, have said before. Yeah. Like, like, like you look at Kathy Wood, has Kathy Wood written a book? No, but in five years, will she? Yes. And then be like, oh, Kathy, you were right about, you know, Tesla and all that. And then she will say a broad statement about whatever in five <laughs> years, right? But like, you didn't, you're not going to tell me what Tesla to buy for the future, right? You should have told me about Tesla. You should buy into Kathy Wood's fund when everyone was laughing at her, right? Tesla and all that. And guy was smoking weed on, 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 his, on Joe Rogan's podcast and writing 420 on Twitter. <laughs> threatening to to privatize his company the saudis were gonna buy whatever blah 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 blah. and suddenly it's the most valuable stock in the world and suddenly he's the richest man in the world it's insane it's insane that's why with normal with normal investments you'll get normal gains normal gains are great for your heart and great for your head but then to really make it wealthy 
once in a while, five, ten percent of your money, you should put in some crazy stuff. <laughs> and then if the crazy stuff goes to hell, like okay, fine, good riddance. But if it really like goes to the moon, then you're like, huh, my ten percent of stuff suddenly became a hundred percent of my portfolio, and now I can buy a buy a car, buy whatever, right? So once in a while, throw caution to win, but only for five five percent of your portfolio. Right. Awesome. Uh, so I'm gonna jump back to statuary now. I'm gonna ask just last two questions. Uh. One from Brian. Brian, uh, he, he's he's actually gone into a call, but he's you know he shared this question here. So sure, sure, uh, sure. is not protected by PIBM. Yeah. What that's a com- what has the company done to ensure customers' funds remain safe? Uh, should mm. anything happen to the company? Yeah, yeah. So this is also a misconception. So when I say I'm regulated, sometimes people say, "Oh, so you're regulated by Bank Nagara?" So like. No, we are regulated by the Securities Commission. It's a slight difference. Banks, uh, banks and insurance companies are regulated by Bank Negara. The the asset managers and brokers are regulated by the Securities Commission. And um, I would say that actually this is true. No financial products are protected by PIDM. ASB is not protected by PIDM. No one is going to. Uh, uh, kind of like step in for you if there's any any issues when it comes to your investment. PIDM is only there for deposits, right? And mm. up to a certain amount, I think it's uh, uh, 250,000 or something like that. And I would say PIDM is there not necessarily just for you, but it's actually there for the banks. You know why? Because if a 97 crisis comes again and we all go to Maybank and pull out our money, then maybe we have no more money and we can't govern the country and everyone will start like becoming lord of lies. So PIDM is actually for the banks to instill confidence in the banks and also for you. So in the case that the banks go belly up, you have your 250,000 or whatever. So statutory is not supposed to be protected by PIDM. You should, you should recognize that. And But trust me, I do get asked this from time to time. So we are regulated by Securities Commission, but in case like, let's say we go under and all that, you don't have to worry about your investment income and your, your investment funds, I should say, because when if, if we go out of business, those funds are actually not on our balance sheet. They are on the balance sheet of what we call our trustees. Trustees are regulated by the Securities Commission as well. They're meant to be a third party to hold the money and do with the money uh, what the client tells them and what the, the asset manager fund manager tells that. So we can only invest your money and we can only take out the money and return it to your bank account, Brian. So I cannot give it to Rosma or whatever. So I can only invest the money and I can only withdraw it uh, when you want, right? I cannot like go under and say, I want to pay my creditors and I owe people money. I use investor funds to cover my expenses and creditors like Asia and all that get 20 cents on the dollar, right? It doesn't work that way. So if, if let's say you invested a thousand bucks with us and your value of your 1000 bucks becomes 2000 bucks after let's say three, four years of investing, we go down, you will get your 2000 bucks back. Okay. Alternatively, if you invest a thousand bucks and it goes down to 900 bucks, right? Because markets go up and down and we go under, you will get your 900 back. Okay. So no one owes you anything for investing in any platform in Malaysia, ASB included, right? Like if, 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 it, if it goes down belly up, PIDM is only for deposits, uh, uh, money in the bank, CASA and FDs. Whatever investment, you're on your own. 
but you are regulated by the SC and there are structural things in place that protect you from uh, the going concern and the ongoing business uh, dealings of, of, the, of the company that you're invested in. So, so yeah, I hope that that kind of uh, assures you, right? But um, a lot of people sometimes think that that's my kryptonite. I go to, I, there, there, are, there are skeptics in, in around, right? And sometimes they want to see me sweat and I've done a hundred you know, webinars. And then sometimes like, what about this? And you're like, dude, dude. <laughs> Come on. Also, yes, I think I understood that. Um, so I did say last two questions, which is make this the last question, but I'm going to be greedy. I'm going to combine two questions into one. So okay. what's the what's the biggest lesson you've learned uh, I okay. suppose in the, 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 you know, the years you've been a country manager at Statuary and what are the future plans for Statuary coming oh, okay. going forward? Okay. Um, even though asked in the same breath, those are two questions. <laughs> it's actually two <laughs> very different questions. It's, it's, so. <laughs> it's, it's question 50A and 50B. So um, I'd say, oh, okay. Biggest question I learned while country manager at Statuary is that if you're in any position of leadership, your greatest skill should be the ability to problem solve because there will constantly be problems to solve in creative and innovative ways. And you have to be the one navigating this, right? So when I say just now that for outsized gains, you have to take outsized, um, you know, opportunities, right? And I'll say my position in Stashaway is an outsized opportunity. I could have easily been working for Apin Wang for the next 10 years, but I joined Stashaway. And immediately there are a set of problems, both, both uh, uh, kind of like real and maybe some, some uh, kind of like a bit existential that we have to solve. So first, you don't have a business, now go get a business. So how do we go about that? Or anyway, once we have a business, okay, something has blown up. There's a tech problem. How are you going to fix that? Uh, okay, you want to introduce this new product, but it's not currently regulated in Malaysia. How are you going to do that? How are you going to have a conversation? So when people say problem solve, right? This, this is what I mean by when people are not specific enough, you know, you go to all these careers fair and they say like, what you should, what you should have is you should communicate well and you should ability to problem solve. But problem solving means seeing the business problem in your head, in front of you and diving into your experiences and your resources to navigate that. There are many, many inputs. There's no one silver bullet. So all of it has to come together. Tech, regulation, uh, good marketing, your drive and hustle, all of that have to come together to solve these problems, right? So um, to be very specific, you should also go away and uh, type in, stash away direct debit. So basically, if any of you knew, then uh, I, 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 you, this will be something that you know, but if you don't know about it, you can go and read about it because we, we fucked up in a massive way. So basically, we have this, uh, this feature where we're supposed to uh, collect money from clients on a, on a monthly basis. Direct debit, right? Every month, you put it money. But then our tech vendor failed and ultimately, we took as much money out of people's bank accounts until they had no money left. There were headlines written about our screw-up, okay? And we were like, oh my God, what's going to happen, blah, 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 blah. We talked to the tech vendor and, and he said to, to me, banks do this all the time. They have problems. 
and you just have to say that there was a technical error. Tell your friends that uh, tell your clients that technical error. So we were like, no, but fundamentally we don't believe that that's the right way to approach this. So we, when when reporters called us, not just because it's good, big news, but also because their money got taken away. They have a personal <laughs> and professional vendetta against <laughs> Mr. Wong Wai Ken because he smiles, 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 and me take my money. So they called me and, and, and I answered them exactly what happened. And we obviously the next day we returned the money by four days. We had, by, by the next day we had returned 90% of people's money, 90% of clients' money. And in, in, in day four, we had some edge cases where we ultimately dealt with everyone and ultimately had, had dealt with all the SE complaints. So in that situation, problem solving, right? Huge problem to solve, right? But the problem is not just the tech problem, it's the PR problem, it's the customers getting their money, doing right by clients' money, uh, right? So I had a lot of calls, very stressful, but ultimately problem solving kind of, not just, it's obviously not a one-man show, whole company kind of rallied. And by the end of it, we had an AMA, where we kind of Maxis style, you know, that famous Maxis thing, right? Like they did that, the whole male culpa. So we had our own, and I told my co-founder that day, I was like, I feel like I'm being dragged to the Hague, but I'm not a, I'm not a Nazi. It's just, I didn't do anything wrong. I just had to answer questions. And we told people why it happened, why it will never happen again, because we changed the code in a way where it would never happen again. The redundancies of two ends. And then ultimately we had a report that was, I think, many, many pages long which went into all the technical detail about what we did to solve the problem, which we sent to all our clients who were affected. We sent it to the regulators. I personally sent it to all my, my competitors to say, don't screw up like me. I already did it. So shame on you. Go screw up some other way. And, and ultimately, I, the people defended us. The people defended us uh, on, the, on the media. So first of all, the reporters that wrote about our screw ups, then wrote about the redemption story. Um, and then... Uh, uh, clients on the forums said like, you know, like, look, they already said they screwed up. They said, sorry. And they returned all the money and everything was well. Like why are you still talking about old news? And uh, all the YouTubers and bloggers who were like our ambassadors and all that were also with us through this whole process because we were kind of transparent. So problem solving ultimately uh, managed to save the day. Um, so how, what, what are my, what are the plans for statuary moving forward? So some of you may know that outside Malaysia and Singapore, we're also in Thailand, Hong Kong, and Dubai. So these are all very interesting, high value markets. And we see ourselves more of a kind of one organization just rather than statuary Malaysia, right? So we see ourselves as a regional kind of startup fintech. And the thing we want to bring to the table is more exciting investment opportunities. A lot of Malaysians come to me and say, hey, I want this. Right. But I have to think at a group level and say, what's a globally amazing product that we can roll out at group level that will impact five countries and we'll all accumulate a lot of assets under management. So there are more exciting investment opportunities coming. We had recently just fresh from a launch of our new thematic portfolios. There are three of them. Uh, you can go and research them. They are, they are, they've done quite decently. But in the future, we want to come up with more. Right. So is it is it stuff in the Sharia space, in the ESG space, in the crypto space? I don't know, right? But that's, I don't know when, but I, I hope that we'll be able to, to, to do that in the future. We're working towards that. It's not so straightforward. Again, problem solving because I want NFTs, but like, first of all, people don't know what NFTs stand for, but they know money go up. So they want NFTs. Okay. So I need to go to SC and be like, so there's this meme, right? Which has now suddenly been worth a lot of money. 
and we want to offer this to clients in a responsible way. What do you think? Right? Is gonna be like, are you high? Like, it's a picture of a dog, for God's sake. <laughs> so, yes, yes, yes. It's an eye of the beholder. It's worth $4 million. Yeah, that, 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 that Doge actually, that Doge picture actually has been unitized and is, is, is 4%, 4% of that value overall is, is freely tradable and, and that 4% is worth $4 million. So imagine if the whole 100%, right, is worth $100 million for the dog, for the initial, for the, for the, for the actual rights to that picture of that dog looking very whimsically at their camera, right? So uh, it's, it's, it's a wild world, I got to say, it's wild. So I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to try our best to introduce it and curate it in a way where investors, like the one that just commented, will say, I want exposure. I want to know nothing because I want to be entitled and I want the money to go up. So we got to do it in, the, in, in a professional and risk-managed way to responsibly give candy to kids and hopefully still have them have a balanced diet, right? So... That, that, is, that is that is interesting. So just to kind of summarize that answer, are you sort of saying that you might dabble into crypto at some point or attempt to dabble into crypto? I can tell you we are thinking about crypto, right? Whether governments let us, whether we find a way to do it, we are thinking about it because we know that it's it's a clear and present uh, investment opportunity. But whether we introduce it now, it's not so important that we get it. We We, we, we do it now. What's important is we get it right. How exactly we give you exposure, how you are protected, because you don't want all those problem solving issues, right? Where you have to like go and get a, a, a cold wallet and a private key and use MetaMask and buy all this stuff and go on the dark web and find your, your, your whatever token, right? So we want to do it in a regulated and, and risk managed way and ultimately also lead the way when it comes to the, the, the eventual education that will come from it. because. If we, we were in the process of like convincing ourselves, but we're not there yet. So we have to really like think very deeply whether we can actually do it or not. Will we do it? I don't know, to be honest. It's Vegas odds puts it at a 51-49 either way. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it's, 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 a, it's a coin toss at this point because it's not straightforward, right? But if you if you want it, don't wait for statuary. Go go and go to Luno. Go go and finance. Go and go do your thing, right? Go go find your crypto in whatever way. But if we do introduce it, you'll be have to do it right, right? And and crypto is just one way, right? We also want to do Sharia. We also want to do ESG. But do we want to do it in the right way that changes the game? Not just say like, hey, I also have something. I also have something else like greenwashing. Hey. Uh, uh, Sharia, because there are a lot of Malays in the country. Hey, like that's, that's just where's the innovation, man? Like where's the real value add, right? Yeah. Um, thank you, Ken, for your time. I love the very honest conversation. Uh, you know, like we went, um, I suppose, quite into all different areas of finance, like especially areas of interest these days. With a lot of, especially like young people. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, I, I love what you shared. Thanks so much, man, Derek. I think it's been so many years since we last met. And um, yeah, it was a real pleasure for me just to run my mouth for an hour and a half. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you out there in the real world someday. Uh, appreciate it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure next time we meet, we can dive even deeper into this whole crypto rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> it'll be fun. Uh, so thanks again, Ken. Uh, I'll see you again soon. Bye, guys. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Hello Mentor podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, do hit the subscribe button, uh, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you're trying to have a great career or if you want to succeed in business, you will benefit from really, really getting to learn from some of the most inspiring people in Malaysia and hopefully you can replicate some of that success yourself. Uh, We have many, many more amazing people joining us soon and we expect to release an episode once every two weeks. So hit that subscribe button to our podcast and you will be notified when the next episode is up. Also, this podcast is supported by Hiredly, a full-fledged recruitment platform that helps junior to mid-level professionals discover the right place to work. So if you're looking to hire great talent or if you're looking for a new job, uh, do check us out at Hiredly.com. That's H-I-R-E-D-L-Y.com. Thank you and I look forward to share the next episode with you soon.